You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. again to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Wall, and uh, welcome uh, back. Hopefully, uh, you've been listening to, to previous uh, 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 podcasts, and uh, hopefully it's kind of whetted your appetite for more information. Hopefully, uh, you're liking the podcasts, and, and my, I'm hearing that where a lot of people are, are at least downloading it, so I'm, I'm very happy to hear that, and, and hopefully this is some always some information that, that you can use that and, and put into your practice, and also some pretty easy CE to get, and that's the other piece about this. Is you know we are sponsored by uh, a CE Impact, and uh, these are are all set up for CE. So just head on over to the, the CE Impact website and, and uh, get uh, get your CE for this. If you're gonna go through the pain of listening to my voice, you might as well get something for it. Is the way I look at it. So and to, in all honesty, it's about the easiest CE you're gonna probably get. I, I think to myself, if you know if, if you can get you know 0.5 CE for 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 listening to one of these, and you're just listening into it on the, on the way to work one. One day, I, I really can't think of, a, of an easier way to, to, to get to get your CE. So please head on over to the CE Impact website and do that. Also, uh, if you like us, um, please uh, like us uh, in the more technical sense uh, on what, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, spread the word to to uh, all your fellow pharmacists and other healthcare professionals about Game Changers Clinical Conversations. And today we are going to uh, continue our role of not talking about uh, uh, COVID for another another week. I don't know how many more weeks we can get through and do this but we're going to keep trying. And uh, I found a paper uh, that came out a couple of weeks ago in the Annals of Internal Medicine I thought was pretty interesting. And I thought we could talk about the paper a little bit and then even expand it out to talk about uh, uh, some of the implications for pharmacists. And that this paper looked at, at uh, the association between oral corticosteroid bursts and severe adverse effects. Now, I know all of us out there are well aware of the fact that long-term steroids cause a host of adverse effects, including osteoporosis and cataracts and immune suppression and myopathy and and, and osteonecrosis and all sorts of other things. But many I, people, and, I'm, and I'm, I have to admit, I'm one of those people who just kind of thought that, well, you know, the average burst and taper of steroids, you know, probably isn't going to hurt the average person. Someone who gets a couple of burst and tapers every year for an asthma exacerbation, you know, I knew there was some data out there that suggested that those patients were at increased risk of osteoporosis, but I wasn't aware of any other really, uh, any other big side effects. So this was an interesting paper, and we're going to talk a little bit about the paper and then kind of talk a little bit more generally about what I think the boots on the ground pharmacists can do when it comes to, uh, to, to, to corticosteroid adverse effects. So this was a paper, again, out of the Annals of Internal Medicine, um, and we can put a link to it in, in, in the show notes. Uh, it was a, a large uh, population cohort study done in Taiwan. Like um, many other countries that have socialized medicine, they're able to do these gigantic types of studies because there's only one real big health system and, and that they have to deal with. So they're able to, to pull data from, from, that, from that health system and, and get some pretty good information. So this was a study, again, that looked at uh, the association between steroid bursts of steroid uh, uh, bursts of steroids, so usually for less than two weeks, and uh, the effect, uh, any sad, serious adverse effects that were associated with them down the road. Now, again, keep in mind this is this is a retrospective kind of population-based cohort study. Uh, it can't prove causation as always, um, but it does give us a, a window into some things we need to kind of be taking a look at when we when we think about short courses of corticosteroids. So, in this uh, um, 
um, study, again, they, they basically uh, um, took a look at about 2.6 million patients. So again, gigantic numbers, but that's what you can do when, when you have, when you have uh, these kind of databases at your disposal. Um, and they wanted to take a look at the incident rates of serious adverse effects with steroid burst users and then, uh, and then non-steroid users, as well as the incident rate ratios within five to 30 days after they started their uh, steroids and then 31 to 90 days. So even after they completed the steroid burst, uh, you know, was there a, a delayed or long-term adverse effect associated with it? And so again, about 2.6 million uh, patients they looked at who received a single burst of, of steroids were included. Um, the, they got steroids for the things you would expect. Uh, most of them were kind of skin disorders, so various and sundry sort of allergic reactions, atopic dermatitis, stuff like that. And then respiratory tract infections or respiratory tract uh, uh, diseases such as asthma for you know asthma exacerbations or, or things along those lines. And they they looked at the they um, looked at the data kind of interestingly in that that they that they looked at the reference period in the first 90 days and then the washout where the, the steroid burst initiation occurs. So they wanted to make sure that people didn't have any of these side effects or issues before they started steroids. Then the steroid burst initiation, and then they looked at again that first period, which is the first 30 days during and after completing the steroid burst, and then the post-treatment period, which they considered 31 to 90 days after. Um, again, it was a self-controlled case series study, and and they wanted to, to to look at in particular three adverse effects that they thought were were likely to occur in the short term, and that was gastrointestinal bleeding, uh, infection leading to sepsis, and then uh, initiation of heart failure because sometimes steroids can cause fluid retention, and sometimes we we forget about that. So uh, the study was uh, done, uh, the period they looked at was 2013 to 2015 in, in this patient, and they wanted to calculate incidence rates per, per thousand patient years of these of these three adverse effects that they looked at. So uh, when they looked at the characteristics of these patients, uh, mean age was, was low, 38. Again, that's probably what you'd expect because, again, lots of younger patients do tend to get bursts for, uh, of steroids for a variety of things. 55% were female, and most were fairly healthy. Uh, they had very few other comorbidities is associated with them. Uh, and uh, the mean dosage was about 10 milligrams of prednisone. So again, not sky high doses of prednisone. And then uh, a mean duration in days was anywhere from three to seven. And what they found in the study was, was that uh, um, there was a fairly high incidence rate per thousand patient years of all three of them. But the big one, the, the, the one that surprised a lot of people in the study was GI bleeding, where they found an incident uh, a rate of 27.1 actually per thousand patient years. So, so a sky-high number um, of patients in the short term who had a, a incident of, of GI bleeding, again, based on medical records. This is, again, all a retrospective kind of database type study. So, again, that was that was very surprising. Uh, there was all, uh, also an increased incident rate of, of, of infection leading to sepsis at 1.3 and heart failure at 1.5. So, th those aren't, aren't aren't not important, but the one that really surprised a lot of people with this study uh, was was that was at risk of, of GI bleed. And interestingly, the the risk the risk was highest. I guess not surprisingly, in that first 30 days, but it didn't completely disappear after that 30 days. And that risk was still evident at, in the 31 to 90 day period. And actually, that was a a a a, a, a common thread that worked through the entire study when they looked at these at these three side effects and infection leading to sepsis was high throughout the 90 days. 
days, and so was heart failure. But but uh, you know the GI bleed thing. I think most people think, well, gee, there's this kind of direct irritation to the stomach, or maybe you know blockade of prostaglandins, which leads to increased risk of GI bleeding. That would disappear within a few days of you stopping the steroids, and that's actually not what they found in this study. Now, you know, like all retrospective uh, database studies, it has a number of limitations, and so I'm not saying that we, that we need to to you know suddenly run out and stop using steroids, or that you know patients who 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 you know might have a history of, of peptic ulcer disease can't get bursts of steroids, um, because again, it's a retrospective study. They uh, uh, did not look at other factors or other confounders which might play a role, such as alcohol use, smoking, things along those lines, or non-steroidal use. You know, again, the data to date has suggested that by themselves, uh, corticosteroids do not cause GI bleeding, and there's been several meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials that have looked at this and have, and have, and have found that by themselves, steroids don't tend to cause uh, 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 GI bleeds or peptic ulcers. And that's what I usually tell my physicians because, I mean, I, I, you know, get get calls uh, in, in, you know, every so often from physicians who are like, yeah, I'm starting this patient on, you know, 60 milligrams of prednisone for, for whatever disease and do, do I need to put them on a proton pump inhibitor? And my answer to date has been, no, I don't think you do um, because the, the data ha had not supported uh, that. And this is kind of the first study that kind of that kind of goes against that a little bit. Now, again, you have to look at the level of data. This is a retrospective uh, cohort study or retrospective database study, whereas the, the data that, that we have that it doesn't increase the risk of GI bleeds comes from uh, uh, randomized controlled trials. So I'd still probably lean on, on that. But this, this does suggest that perhaps, especially in patients who are at high risk, maybe they've recently had a GI bleed or things along those lines, uh, we may need to be a little bit more concerned about the, the development of GI bleeds in patients who develop uh, uh, burst and who receive burst and tapers of steroids. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not saying we need to panic. We need to, to run away into the night screaming that, that we can't ever use uh, steroids without causing all these side effects. But this study does suggest that, that uh, again, particular GI bleeding, but even other types of, of, of adverse effects can occur with, with short bursts and tapers of, of steroids. And I think it, it's incumbent upon pharmacists, I think, when we're, when we're taking a look at these patients is, you know, what, so what can we do? Well, I think the first is, is you know, I think in patients who are getting bursts and tapers of steroids, that unless they're directed by their physician for reasons I couldn't really tell you, they should probably not take non-steroidals while they're, while they're uh, taking their bursts and taper of steroids. Again, we have other data suggesting that it does increase the risk of GI bleed, and we don't know that that wasn't the reason why there is this big increased risk of or incidence of GI bleed in this study that we're discussing here. So it may just be that, that that's the issue. Um, if you had a patient who had recent GI bleed, who needed a burst and taper of steroid, if they're not already on anti-secretory therapy and they're candidates for it, I think that would be reasonable to do for at least the first month or so. Again, that risk in this study seemed to be highest in that first month. So again, as long as they don't have a contraindication to being on anti-secretory therapy, uh, a proton pump inhibitor would certainly be reasonable for, for protection uh, during that. Again, do we know for sure that's going to help? No, because we don't have randomized controlled trials, but, but I think think it's reasonable that probably in that case, the benefit outweighs the risk and it's something to think about. So um, again, a, a surprising study because I think most of us have, have long viewed burst and tapers of steroids as, as largely you know, harmless or at, at least where the benefit out far outweighs the risk. And, and in many cases, they still do. I mean, again, keep in mind that, that, that we will use burst and tapers of steroids for a wide variety of conditions and, and lots of inflammatory conditions you know, uh, you know, are, will often 
require bursts and tapers of steroids. I don't think we want to uh, negate the, the benefit of these medications for these you know uh, types of diseases. Um, you know, as any someone as anyone with severe asthma will tell you, uh, you know, uh, oral steroids have probably uh, uh, been a very big benefit to them when they've had bad uh, exacerbations. Anyone who's had rheumatoid arthritis, anyone who's had bad Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, you know, any of any autoimmune disease where where we use steroids to treat acute exacerbations, um, I think I think you know the benefit is going to clearly outweigh the risk in those in those people, um, but. Um, I think we do need to kind of think about the fact that that the oh well you're not going to get any real serious side effects because the, you're only on it for a couple of weeks you know just simply may not be the case so that is kind of talking about you know the the, the short term so what about the long term because even though I think you know there's been a general acceptance in areas of like rheumatology and dermatology and gastroenterology to try and get people off of chronic steroids the sad fact is is that some patients just have to be on high dose steroids for for weeks months years some cases you know. Uh, the classic disease that I think uh, primary care docs run into with it, with this is, is polymyalgia rheumatica, uh, which is not uncommon. It does affect you know uh, elders uh, uh, not uncommonly, and the treatment really is high dose steroids for a year. And uh, those patients are going to be at risk of, of more of the, some of the more long term uh, side effects. So, you know, we've we've talked about the short term side effects of of, of steroids and how um, you know we should be on the lookout for those, but let's not lose sight of kind of the long term side effects in people who. Do have to be on steroids for a long period of time. So, you know, what are what are some of the things that are, are we all know are kind of associated with them? Well, probably one of the biggest ones is osteoporosis, right? And and studies have 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 shown pretty conclusively that even within three to six months of of continuous steroid use, uh, um, bone marrow density can decrease significantly, and uh, uh, that is an additive sort of thing. So, you know, we talked about the patient with asthma who maybe gets two bursts and tapers a year of of, of steroids just because their asthma is in that well controlled. Well, the first thing we need to do is control their asthma better. But if we can't, or they're still requiring these bursts and tapers, uh, we know that every burst and taper, that's going to have an additive effect on, on their bone mineral density. And that's something we need to be thinking about. I would argue that, that pretty much anyone who, who's, who's in that realm uh, should probably be taking uh, calcium and vitamin D. There is some evidence to suggest that that helps those patients. So again, a recommendation that all pharmacists can make is, is if you're receiving multiple bursts and tapers a year, or you're on continuous doses of more than five milligrams of prednisone, uh, you should at a minimum be on on uh, 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 calcium and vitamin D uh, as kind of per recommendations from the National Osteoporosis Foundation. What about bisphosphonates? The American College of Rheumatology uh, uh, a few years ago had guidelines on this, and they basically said that you know uh, we know that 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 these patients are at high risk for um, um, osteoporosis, and they should probably, if you know the patient's going to be on high dose steroids for a long period of time should probably go ahead and get bone mineral density screening with a DEXA scan. And if they're at uh, the appropriate risk, use the FRAC scoring. And I'm sure many of you listening are aware of the FRAC scoring system for, for osteoporosis. And if they're candidates, yes, then, then bisphosphonates are, are, are absolutely reasonable and actually have been looked at in patients with corticosteroid and used osteoporosis and been found to be a benefit. So that's certainly reasonable. That's something I think that's going to happen more at the prescriber level. Um, certainly, though, pharmacists can, can be aware of it and make, make that recommendation. Um, but I would say again, even in, in patients who perhaps you know have normal bone marrow density or or, or don't qualify to be on bisphosphonates, that it is certainly reasonable that all these patients should be on on calcium and vitamin D. Uh, the other question I get asked a lot about with with uh, um, chronic steroids is 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 the risk of infection. 
um, we know that that uh, uh, you know uh, steroids are immunosuppressive, and and you are at risk for a wide variety of different types of infections uh, when you're uh, when you're taking these medications. But probably the one that I think is 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 garnered a lot of interest in the last at least 15 years has been uh, uh, pneumocystis. And and uh, again, I'm an old man, so I still call it PCP. But now it's 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 of course uh, uh, pneumocystis gerovaci, which is what again used to be PCP. Uh, obviously, you know was 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 a, a a huge player in in the AIDS epidemic, and you know is can still very much occur in patients even who are immunocompromised. But but when patients are on steroids, we know that patients who are on steroids are at increased risk of developing a, a PCP or PJP uh, pneumonia. So some have have advocated the the just like you'd have someone who had HIV or AIDS that they should receive uh, uh, backroom prophylaxis for that. And there's there's some controversy about who when where and, and things along those lines. Most of the recommendations that I've read have suggested that it is reasonable to consider Bactrim prophylaxis in patients if you think they're going to be on uh, more than 15 to 20 milligrams of prednisone or the equivalent for more than three months. So if you have someone who you know, you know, they have a rheumatologic condition or, or a dermatologic condition that you know they're just going to be on high-dose steroids for a long time, then it is reasonable to, to, to start Bactrim prophylaxis in them. Again, that can be, you know, one at bedtime or some sometimes even one, three times a week. And that's something I think, I think we, I think as pharmacists, we need to be more aware of because especially primary care docs, I think often forget about that piece of it and we can help make that recommendation. Obviously, you'd want to take care in patients with, with poor renal function, patients who are on lots of other drugs that may lead to hyperkalemia. Uh, Bactrim does have a lot of weirdo side effects that you do have to kind of keep keep your eye on. But um, again, most of the recommendations that I've read suggest that the benefit does outweigh the risk in these patients because PCP pneumonia can, can be deadly, as, as you know. Uh, the question is, when do you stop that prophylaxis? Uh, um, again, that, that's kind of hazy, and we don't have really good randomized control trial data to answer answer that question. But again, most of the, of the stuff I've read suggests that, that, that really once you're below 15 milligrams uh, for over three weeks, it's, go, it's go, okay to go ahead and stop the prophylaxis at that point. So probably start prophylaxis at 20 milligrams, and then especially if you know they're going to be on it for three or more months, and then as they start to taper down 15 milligrams or below, it's probably reasonable to stop prophylaxis in those patients. So, um, you know, something we need to, 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 to I think, advocate for more certainly. I've, I've in in years past, I probably wasn't as as as, uh, as vigilant about watching that. We would send patients home on high dose steroids for X Y Z reasons, and I just kind of said, okay, we'll make sure they're on calcium, and we we'll pat them on the head and, and and send them out. But we really should, I think, be better at taking a look at that. So, and then finally, adrenal insufficiency. You know, anyone who's on long term steroids um, is uh, because of the negative feedback loop of of the adrenal system. Their own adrenal system is just going to simply stop making. Um, uh, adrenal hormone, and that's a problem when the patient undergoes any sort of physiologic stress. And so, uh, uh, when when the patient uh, is, you know has to undergo surgery or they get sick for another reason, uh, you know you know anything along those lines can trigger you know acute adrenal crisis. And the problem is the symptoms are fairly non-specific. You know they they, they complain of weakness and malaise. A lot of times they have you know uh, uh, um, uh, myalgias. Uh, uh, they have 
have uh, they can be not have nausea and stuff like that. So those are all really you know kind of vague symptoms. Where I get concerned is when you see somebody who's got uh, I think kind of the two uh, two or three big ones of hypotension, decreased consciousness or, or mental status changes, and hyponatremia. Uh, hypo, uh, uh, so I mean if you start to see their sodium get down, you start to see their 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 blood pressure starting to go down, and they, they have some mental status changes. And, and someone says, oh yeah, by the way, they've been on you know 15 milligrams of prednisone for rheumatoid arthritis for the last year, you know, something along those lines. Um, and they're here in the hospital with pneumonia. They're here in the hospital because they were in a car accident, whatever. Um, you have to think about adrenal insufficiency in those patients. And, uh, you know, again, patients uh, who are on long-term steroids uh, really can develop secondary Addisonian-type symptoms. And in my world, in the hospital, what we tend to do is, is put those patients on so-called stress steroids. So we'll put them on, or, you know, 50 to 100 milligrams of hydrocortisone, Q8 hours for a day or two while they're uh, while they're they're getting better from their illness or overcoming whatever reason they're in the hospital. Uh, we tend to use hydrocortisone because you know it is probably physiologically close to, close to the cortisone that, that we that that your body makes. Uh, but probably any steroid would work, with the exception of dexamethasone, because remember that dexamethasone has no mineral corticoid effects; it's only glucocorticoid effects, and you'd want both in those cases. So, I think uh, keeping uh, keeping an eye out when somebody has those kind of, kind of symptoms and thinking, you know, is this patient suffering from adrenal uh, uh, suppression or crisis uh, because they're sick for another reason and they're on chronic steroids? Um, you could argue in someone who's been on high steroids for a long period of time, perhaps patients who are on, uh, who are like a solid organ transplant patients, things along those lines, that it wouldn't even be unreasonable to, you know, do some education with them about the signs and symptoms of adrenal crisis and make sure that they know to call their doctor uh, in, in case they get into trouble with that. So, so that's kind of, you know, kind of a whirlwind tour of, of, of corticosteroid short-term and ad, long-term adverse effects. Again, you know, steroids are great drugs. We use them for so many things. Um, even when we don't really know what's going on, we often use them, but, but, uh, and, and they can often really help. And so that, you know, they're, they're great drugs and they have a lot of, of therapeutic benefit, but they are, as we all know, have a ton of, of side effects as well. And that's something we really have to keep an eye on in both the short and the long term, as, as this paper has shown. So, so uh, that kind of wraps this up. But uh, before we go, uh, a word from CE Impact talking about uh, both uh, cl clinical conversations and some of the other great programs they have going on uh, for continuing education. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, are you tired of searching for meaningful CE? CE Impact brings learning to you through a continuing education subscription service. That's right. No more searching. It comes directly to your inbox, and it's really good. Subscribe today at ceimpact.com to receive a hot topic CE course on the first of every month. You'll also receive bonus content and tools to implement your learning. Plus, participate in a live journal club continuing education on the second Wednesday of every month to keep up on evidence-based information. If you want to keep searching for good CE, you might or might not find it, and you'll waste a lot of time searching. Or you can sign up today to get CE Impact's subscription service and have all the CE you need when you need it. It's that easy. Once again, go to ceimpact.com and sign up for the subscription service. Don't waste another minute. CEimpact.com. Let the learning come to you. 
So that wraps it up for another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. So, you know, bottom line, stories are good, um, but uh, also have a, a, a dark side that we have to be careful of, and we can help protect our patients against some of these short and long-term side effects if, if, if we keep an eye on them. So that's it for this edition. Thanks very much for listening. Again, like us um, wherever, you're, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Head over to CE Impact and get your CE for this, and we'll catch you next week. Remember, uh, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. See you next week.